0: All right, let me uh, let me share with you some, some interesting things about uh, the, the sermon this morning. We're going to move into the book of Galatians. And for me, as a non-Christian, I can remember not coming from a, a background uh, with any Sunday school flannel boards or uh, this little light of mine. I, I didn't grow up with any of that. And when I became a Christian at 19... <laughs> Um, I'd gone through the book of Matthew and I'd gone through the book of Luke and went through the book of John and I asked my friend, "What should I read next?" He said, "Read Galatians." And I remember reading. I took out a red pen and I read the book of Galatians and I had no idea what it was about. I only remembered writing, underlining things. I thought, "This kind of sounds interesting. This is important," and and forgetting it immediately, and studying the Bible. But the one thing that uh, Paul says in that beginning chapter is they they knew my former life, that I persecuted the church, but they kept glorifying God because of me, the change that had happened in me. And that was my introduction into Galatians. And as we get into that, uh, I'm excited, and, and I hope you get to be excited as you go through this book, because this book will change your life. And as I open it up, I want to start with the idea of change. As we're moving into a season around the, around the globe, the, it just seems that everybody is in the process of clamoring for change. And, so, and there's enough of this on the news. I'm not going to go into the details, except to say that there is a protest going on. And as you know what the word protest means, pro-forward test. What test? Well, there is a test, but it means to declare publicly, to pray, uh, to put forth, uh, to put in front of, and it comes from the word testari, from the testus witness, where we get the word testament, New Testament, the new protest, the new proclamation. And therefore, we are not we are not unfamiliar with this word because we are called Protestants, that we have been born out of a protest that God said, there's something new I'm doing among you. And that idea that there's a shift, there's a change that's taking place. Going back to Luther, when he protested the system that was dead, and he says, there are 95 things that we don't like about this. And so in the Wittenberg door, he hammered us, But the the message is always right there, and the message always seems to hover around this theme of, we don't want that, we want this. So set us free from that and give us this. And so there's a movement, a shift. And that's what I want to uh, encourage us to think about as we get into the book of Galatians. But I also want to warn you to be wise, because change for the sake of change is just more change. And I learned in University of Michigan, this quote from Petronius, it's a great quote. If you haven't heard the Petronius quote, this was worth memorizing. We trained hard, the, the Roman soldiers, we trained hard. But it seemed that every time that we were beginning to form up into teams, we would be reorganized. I was to learn later in life that we tend to meet any new situation by reorganizing. And a wonderful method it can be for creating the illusion of progress while producing confusion, inefficiency, and demoralization. Change will give you an energy, a sense of being alive that, oh, something's happening here. But you don't understand the direction of the movement until you take that perspective. Petronius says, what Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. Here we go again. And those of you who've been in organizational change, you see new leadership, you see new policies, you see it's same old, same old. That's not what we're talking about. But the question is, as Larry Crabb brings up in the book, is real change possible? And when we think as Christians, what that means, if if you didn't feel like well, the world is changing out there, and the church should be part of it. Like we had a, a meeting yesterday at the uh, association. And the idea is, how does the church fit into this movement that's going on around us, the this, this social protest, the social change? And as Mark and I joined that Zoom meeting yesterday, we just, we just seemed like there, there's got to be something that the Christians should be doing. We should be part of this. But a lot of times, if we're isolating, we can't be part of it. And So we have this this tension of how do you be part? How do you participate? What's our role in change? And so there's a lot of thinking. But Larry would talk about the question about change on the inside, as that proverb would say: When there's peace, uh, when there's peace in the heart, there's peace in the home. When there's peace in the home, there's peace in the city. When there's peace in the city, there's peace in the land. But the change, the direction of peace comes from inside out. Now, we're going to be talking about that inside change to understand, have an awareness of who you are and what it means for you to change. And you know, Jesus said, if you, if you want to tell somebody else how to change, the priority is don't do that. Pull the log out of your eye first. And so he directs us back into thinking about change with people, and therefore, I just got several, several proverbs, I loved these proverbs that are international proverbs, listen to these, the chameleon changes color to match the earth, but the earth doesn't change the color to match the chameleon, that's a Senegal, from Senegal, how about this one, I like these, Uh, and this is from our time in Japan, this is from Aizu Wakamatsu, remember that? A man's heart changes as often as does the autumn sky. Easy. How about this one from West Africa? When the music changes, so does the dance. It's interesting, isn't it? That's a good one. And if you hear that a mountain has moved, believe. If you hear that a man has changed his character, Believe it not. Interesting? Well, he that beats the drum for the madman to dance is no better than the madman himself. Isn't that interesting? And around the world, people have have thought deeply about change, uh, deeply about change, but the question for us is, what does the Bible say about change? What did Christ mean? Uh, when he came to say, "The kingdom of God is at hand." Repent, change. There's, there's something going on, and and we know that we know that uh, everyone that's been alive and sees, uh, if you've lived twenty years, thirty years, forty years, you see constant change. But can you imagine those who've lived ninety years and see all the change? And so if change doesn't increase your faith, it will increase your cynicism. And therefore, when the Bible talks about change, it's different than what the world thinks about change. The London Times sent out a survey to people to write in an editorial, but what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote back, and his answer was two words. What's wrong with the world? Dear sir, I am. When you go to the Bible, the Bible addresses that. King David would say, start with me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. I love this passage, Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And renew, again, that right spirit. That idea that that God starts on the inside. uh, But if you start on the inside, and if you look carefully on the inside, you may find things that you don't like on the inside. Like a dead spirit. Ezekiel knew about change when god brought him into the valley the vision of these bones as he looked out and the lord said to ezekiel ezekiel can these bones live again is real change possible and ezekiel said you know god you alone know and so when you get into those passages Like Ezekiel continued to write, I will take you, and here's here's that message, from the least of them to the greatest of them, I will take from among the nations. Get that. And gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water. (sighs) That's refreshing. Clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness. That's change. That's deep change from all your idols. Now notice what 26 is. 26 says, I will give you a new heart. I, the Lord, will give those bones a fresh spirit. I will give you uh, the heart. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart, a a tender, a a supple heart. A heart that's really responsive, not a hard heart. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Notice in this passage how many times the word I is used. I will take, I will sprinkle, I will cleanse, I will give you, I will take the heart, I will give you a heart, I will put my spirit, and I will walk with you in the land. That's a very God-centered promise for you and for me. Well, when when we come to this book of Galatians, you have to have an answer. When you think about change, boy, there's no other book There's lots of books, but in a nutshell, this little book of Galatians is going to be talking about change, and so as you become smart Christians, you'll think about what Paul is writing. This is the ninth book in the New Testament. It was written about 50 A.D., and we're right at chapter Acts 13 and 14. He's just finished that missionary journey, and he's going to go into Acts 15, and this is in the area of Galatia we talked about that last week in the sense that the the celtic people the irish people the gauls from northern france from uh, up to ireland switzerland germany they had come down and they were taking uh, they had occupied the northern part of what they now call turkey and the romans had trouble getting rid of these these armies because they were brutal they were superstitious they were they were fickle people they were hard to deal with but they were Wild barbarians. And the Romans had trouble defeating them. They settled right down into Asia Minor. And for some reason, the Lord sent Paul and Barnabas right into the battle with the. He always did that, didn't he, in the Old Testament? To to enter into a land and, and, and defeat those occupants and set up the kingdom of God. Well, here he does this in the book of Galatians. Now, notice this little book, six chapters, six chapters, and of those chapters, you'll see there's only 2,230 words. Those little chapters, 24, 21, 29, 31, those are the verses, it's not many words in there, and yet, if you go back and listen to the people who write about what Paul wrote, Luther, Luther really was caught up. He says, this is my favorite book. Luther spent more time in Galatians and his works, if they were to translate them now, would have to go to 1,500 pages out of those 2,200 words. There's so much that's in this book. It's a gold mine. Augustine's work is 322 pages. So people have studied this but let me tell you one thing. The question is, why? Why should you study it? I mean, what's in it for you? What benefit could you, you possibly get out of studying Galatians? Because I would bet most of you don't read, haven't read Galatians for a long time unless somebody prompts you to read it like me. Because a lot of times the books of the Bible, you don't seem to be relevant until you're really seeking the meaning. And what's... Meaningful is, is what did it mean for those folks back then as they got into this conversation with Paul? As you look at that conversation, there's a lot of debate going on. But you'll also see that question arise in your heart. Well, what, what happened back then? Will that make a difference for me today? And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. But you've got to know what that says. And therefore, you go into the idea of, well, how about... It may change me, but will it change you? And how about you? And how about you? And if God works that in all of our lives as a church, we all as a community are coordinated, guided into the same kind of meaningful change that God wants to work on. Well, how about this one? Is what you have really significant? A song, a message, something that you can say to the world that you could. Really answer those protesters in the street? Marx said, it's not, it's not just to understand the world that we're after. We want to change it. Well, do you have something that, to offer to that debate, that protest? Well, you do. You have the three GCs. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, that's fine. You get a pass. What are the three GCs? I always want to review these. That great commandment, the great commandment is that your change that you should see in your heart is that new spirit that God puts in you. I will give you a new heart. And that heart is for the Lord himself. And therefore, the greatest change, the greatest commandment is for you to have Be careful my words here, that you were to fall in love with Christ, that you'd have a love affair, a worship, an encounter with Christ in such a way that Jesus would touch you and you would never be the same. That your heart would be so intimately entwined with the knowledge of the Lord loving you as he says, we love because he first loved us. If you don't understand the love of God, your love and response will be proportional to how much you know his love, and he wants all of your heart. The second, the second G.C. is the Great commandment. And' a go into, uh, sorry, is a great commission. The Great Commission means what? Go into the world and make learners, disciples, people who learn how to love, because you don't love. Naturally, because there's something that's blocking our love, and therefore we have to learn how to be appreciative of differences, how to understand different nations, how to understand different races, how to understand ourselves, because self-awareness is a divine gift. Awareness of others is a divine gift. Helping others learn how to learn is a divine gift, and God wants everybody to learn love, In all the nations. And that leads us to the great community, which is the great commandment that Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you as you're learning to love, not the way you love, but the way I love, that you give grace. And that is a radical, radical change. I'm gonna build my church on that promise. And therefore, Last week I said this passage. I just want to touch it real briefly because this is some of the belief systems. This five, one, one hang on, um, Get the oh, uh, there right, it is. This is something that I hold to be deeply true for me. And I want you to hear it and learn it, because I believe this is what the Bible is teaching. If there's a problem in our society, if there's a disconnect in our society, it's because of the fall. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and therefore cannot love. But that disconnection from God means you're cut off from the source of grace. And if you're cut off from the source of grace and glory, it means not only have you Broken this relationship with God, but you have a broken relationship with yourself. You can't love yourself very well if you don't have the love of Christ as your standard to love. And therefore, there will be a disconnect from God, a disconnect from others uh, and myself. And this creates its own distress because I can't find enough security, resources, faith, hope, love in myself. And therefore, I'm caught. Connection with Christ and loving others, then, is the message for us that provides a sense of meaning and value. I communicate to you, you communicate to me. There's an interconnection where you pass on that love and grace, even as broken people. And there, through that engagement, that enlightenment, if if there's connection, there's going to be growth. If there's no connection, there's going to be decay. And therefore, you can take a a piece of wood out of the fire, what happens to the wood? It starts to smolder, goes down. See, we were built for relationships, and God made us to, to enjoy that connection. And as we cultivate that adult, adult, mature, meaningful, uh, not only adults, but for kids as well, anytime there's a sense of giving to other people, of who you are freely, out of love, There's a connection, and that expands what I call the kingdom ministry. Connection, disconnection. When you have change and you don't want to have that connection, you have Petronius. And so the last part with that one is that this interconnection, this fellowship, meeting with you one-on-one, one-on-two, two-on-three, other group, uh, when there is an exchange, then the gospel flows out because if your heart's being cleansed and changed and I'm meeting with you, then, then, then you give grace to me and I give grace to you. So we bring ourselves and we give ourselves. We understand ourselves and understand other people for the purpose of reflecting Jesus Christ. And that's what John says. If we walk with him as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another reflecting Christ to all of us. You have to learn that. That doesn't take place naturally because you call yourself a Christian. Therefore, relationships then is, is, the, did I say the, the major way, not a way, the way. Without relationships, without this connection, without the fellowship, without the understanding of that that need, the interdependence, It is the way for change, for transforming our our capacity for awareness of how we relate to people or how we don't relate to people, how we give grace, how we don't give grace. But that relationship then, connecting with other people, is the heart of this change that Paul is going to talk about in Galatians. And know this, and you're right, that this virus is making people crazy. God never intended you to be depressed because no one loves you, or to be isolated because no one contacts you. It's a hard thing for the church to be other-centered, and then the phone goes two ways. Well, I didn't get called. I didn't call anybody. No one, and, and we're strugg- we struggle, we have to confess. We all struggle with that because we're too preoccupied with our own little worlds that we're not thinking about other people. But aloneness and aloofness and this privatized Christianity. My Jesus, my Jesus. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm good. i got finances, emotions. I'm I'm privileged. I'm good. My Jesus. And so it's me, Jesus, as long as this. That is not what you're going to find in the Galatians. Because this interconnection, this relationship, the great community, is what God is trying to do to create a new humanity that the world has no idea what we're talking about. Therefore, silence, self-sufficiency, and self-protection, they build a compartmentalized Christianity a we versus them we think this way they think that way there's no relationship with that but at the heart of our problem we have this way of thinking that is not biblical and therefore the goal that we have is to think biblically and then to relate spiritually in such a way that we reflect we reflect Christ the result of this Independence, privatized Christianity, is no change, no maturity, no responsiveness. And therefore, that's, that's a response. And what I would say, why study Galatians? Well, this is a big claim, and I would claim it. If you know the power of the gospel, you could take care of racism. If you know the gospel, you will take care of the violence in the streets. If you know the power of this gospel, it is so radical to say to a woman in Galatia who is a slave, you are now equal with me in Christ. Well, that's radical. To say to a slave who's working on the boats, who's very poor, it was, it was an outcast, you're a brother in Christ. This gospel is a radical transformation of the heart, and that will change the society. And that's why Chuck Swindoll said that in advance of the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, Paul's letter speaks to wisdom and clarity into the first real controversy that plagued the church in its early years, the relationship between Christians who are Jewish and Christians who are Gentile. You see, it's all about those relationships. The Arabs couldn't get along with the Jews. the The Tutsis couldn't get along with the Hutu. The the Koreans and the Chinese and the Japanese. the 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 It's it's just constantly. There's only been 26 years in recorded human history where there's been no war. So don't be surprised of the conflict or the ordeals that happen when people get into these wars. But in Galatians you're going to find some themes that are powerful themes and the themes that are going to be contrasted here is those who have the holy spirit will have a distinctive about them and those who have a substitute gospel will have a distinction about them as well and so paul's going to explain this by saying those those who are a disciple who are learning the 3gc's those disciples will have a devotion that these other guys won't have the disciple will have a dependence on God, leaning on God, knowing the Lord in such a way that God is changing him and his focus, her and her perspective, and there's a dedication to that message. Put a gun to my head, and I will throw a lot of things away in the Christian life. I've changed a lot of things, some things that I didn't think were important, but when you put a gun to my head to say, will you die for Christ and the gospel, I will take that bullet. That message is so deeply inside of me that I want you to know that the gospel message is really what the world needs. It's what I need. If you don't believe that, then just study Galatians, because that's going to be one of the convictions that come out. And then developing, how do you grow? How do you read? How do you pray? How do you relate? How do you learn? How do you do all those things? That's going to come out of Galatia. Why should you read the book? Because you're going to find something in this book that's wonderful. How do you walk with the Holy Spirit? We don't talk about that very much. We're growing in that. But that idea of the work of God's Spirit involved in each individual and the church, that's what Galatians is going to talk about. And these guys are saying, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You need to keep the law. But the last one, Paul says... Dying to self, learning how to to lose your life, to find it. As, as Paul would say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who died for me. And he, he loves me and he died for me. Living for other people, as opposed to this false disciple over here, where where it won't change but it gives you the arrangement the solution of change this guy is going to not want Christ he'll find religion or any kind of rules to work but he's, it's not about being Christ centered it's going to be trusting other people to figure out how do how do you make this work what kind of legislation do do the police need what kind of legislation do do we need in our in our societies to get people to quit being violent we we need I don't want to go into this because it's, there's a lot to this. Your life matters. Period. But you'll find people distorting and cutting God out and being more humanistic that we will pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But for those without boots, they don't know how to do that. It will be a deformed, a pseudo-discipleship driven by the flesh, and to understand yourself in the flesh, that's pretty powerful stuff, but you, you leave disconnected. And that's the point. You don't, have, you don't have this energy, but you have some kind of energy coming from somewhere else. Well, ready for a quick run-through? Here's Galatians 1. It's about perverts, deserters, perverters, deserters, and reasserters. How about that. Paul's going to get into some really interesting times because people who think different than you, who are distorting the gospel, who are messing with your mind, you get mixed messages in chapter 2 because even Peter was confused. It's easy to do that. Chapter 3, powerful passage. How does a man get saved? How do you know you're saved? How do you know you belong to the community? It's being delivered and justified by faith and understanding the role of faith in Christ and what Christ did, the person and the work of Christ, you, it moves into the argument that they were saying, well, if, you, if it's all about faith and grace, people are going to go mess up. If I'm free, I'm free to go to sin. If I can do anything I want to, uh, I, no law, how, how on earth are people going to change if you don't put rules on them, for Pete's sake? Well, You learn grace, because grace sets you free from the law. And that's what Paul's going to talk about. If no one's watching, no one's pressing you, no one's expecting you to change, will you change? If the change is going to come forth from without, then something's missing from within, which is what he talks about in chapter 4, that those who are children of God, children of Abraham, children of faith, will be born in a way that they learn to walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit will guide you, strengthen you. That new, new heart that God wants us to have will be developed in you. And as you do that in chapter 5, you learn about the fruits of the Spirit. And those are relational fruits. And that's what leads us into the restoration and the relationships of conflict in chapter 6. Well, what is Galatians about? It's what the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of the people back then, the Gentiles, and what he's going to be doing in our lives today too. But how did he work among the Gentiles? As you think about how he's working back 2,000 years ago among the Gentiles, what were the problems that they faced? And I will guarantee you, you will see them today. And how do they respond to the problems that they had back then? It's just, they didn't have protests. They had war. <laughs> they went to war with them. So, but they, they changed the way they responded. But there are lessons here for us, lessons for you and me. And here's your lesson. The big one is what I'm calling the title. It's setting your heart free. Galatians is going to be used to set your heart free. And that's really the theme of change. It's not set us free just to do what we want. It's set me free to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. To love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then to love the great community as well. And so that's the message. Why should you study it? Because, here's another proverb. This one's from an African. Birds, Birds sing not because they have answers but because they have songs. We've got a song to sing. And our song isn't a chant, just as no peace. It's a song. It's a song. Your heart is free to sing. And that's why I want to say, as F. Beth Bruce, and I stole it from him, he calls Paul the apostle of the heart set free. And that's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. That's what you want for you, right? Anybody interested in having a heart set free? Anybody interested in studying Galatians? As we go through this passage this summer, I would invite you, first of all, one, be actively asking questions. As a disciple, you should tear into not only that book of Galatians, this book, your own heart, and then asking God, what's keeping me? What's blocking me? What do I need to be freed from so that my love for you really flows? If that's really true, you are a bird that can sing. If it's not true, you'll be a bird that... Well. It's an exciting thing for us, I think, as we get into what 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 the Lord is doing here at CBC, more what He is doing in your life. You will have a testimony to protest, to declare that the Lord is everything He says He is. That's the good news for us today. He wants to change us from the inside out. That's what we'll do tonight. I hope you guys uh, come and. And seek the Lord and and ask for that new spirit, and, because you're you'll be singing as a new bird. So, uh, with that, let's, uh, let's close with our last hymn. Okay, Ryan, I'm I'm not going to touch it because. Okay. Isn't that exciting stuff? That motivates me. I I see why Paul motivated was motivated so. And that's what God does. He makes new ways for us.